You know, I have to <clears throat> confess that I'm prone to a bit of laziness every now and then. It's kind of funny the way some people work really, really hard at something that they enjoy, but if it's something they don't particularly like, find all kinds of reasons and excuses not to do it. And there are times when Marsha wants something done in the yard, and I'll tell her, look, you know, if, if we'll just wait five or six years, it's going to take care of itself. You know, why put out a lot of effort now when it'll do it itself? You know, don't worry about it anymore. And then she says, no, go do what I told you. And being the dutiful husband that I am, I go and do what she said. But, you know, laziness sometimes is a bad thing. Sometimes it's not so big of a deal. When it comes to religion, though, <clears throat> it's a major issue. Uh, and I have oftentimes thought that among the big problems in religion today, one of the greatest ones is laziness. And what I mean by that is oftentimes people are content to let somebody else do all the work. Uh, I know uh, some religious people, if you go out way out on one extreme, they'll essentially say God is going to do everything. If God wants me, he'll save me. If God doesn't want me, he won't. There's nothing I can do about it one way or the other anyway. So I'll just leave all of this up to God. And then you've got uh, some that are not quite that extreme who will say things along the lines of, well, all I have to do is believe. You know, if I believe and I'm a reasonably good person, then everything's fine. God's going to take care of everything else. Well, God does take care of his part. Without the grace of God, we could never be saved. He has to do his part. But the thing is, God expects us to do our part. You know, it's one of those interesting things as you, as you read through Scripture, especially when you're looking in, in the uh, gospel accounts, there are times when Jesus will do something and then he'll tell the apostles to do something or he'll tell somebody else to do something. He does his part, the part that only he can do, but he expects them to do their part too. You have things to do and you need to do them. And I, I, I love that uh, verse there or verses there in, uh, in Matthew chapter 7. Uh, that Brother Joe read for us, Jesus says, ask. Now, the, all of us studied this in school when we were growing up. Ask is an active verb. And when he says seek, that's active too. You can't seek something by, you know, sitting on your good intentions and waiting for it to happen. And knock, that's active too. As Christians, we have to be active. It's absolutely necessary for us to be that way. You know, it, it's one of those things, and it's kind of an interesting uh, concept, uh, but have you ever really given any thought to the idea that God does not force himself on us? He doesn't make us believe in him. Now, it's not that he's off somewhere uh, up beyond the clouds hiding from us, playing a game of hide-and-seek or something like that, or if he's just waiting to see if we're clever enough to figure out where he is and what he wants us to do. It's not like that at all. You know, look at what Paul says over in Romans chapter 1. In Romans chapter 1, Paul is basically talking about uh, the Gentile world. And he says, beginning in verse 18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. 
For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. What Paul is saying is that there are some things that you can know about God. Now, there are a lot of things that we can't know, aside from his revealed word, but there are some things that we can know just by looking at the world around us. It's one of those things, I, I never have been able to figure out how a, uh, a person who believes in uh, evolution and who believes that the universe created itself in some cosmic accident, how they can believe any of that. It's, it's absolutely too perfect for what it is. And uh, you, you could spend uh, just loads and loads of time looking at all of the ways that this world could not possibly be what it is by accident. Creation could not be what it is by accident. <clears throat> if you look around, if a person is reasonable, if they're honest, if they look around at the world around them, they have to say this was made by somebody. Now, I don't know about you, but if I were to look at all of this around me and think about that fact, somebody, something made all of this, the next logical question is, what's he want from me? What's my relationship to him? And then I've got to go look for it. It's, uh, Paul pointed this out, too, <clears throat> when he was preaching uh, in Athens over in Acts chapter 17, Verse 22, then Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are very religious. For as I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship, I even found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. Therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing him, I proclaim to you, God who made the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands nor is he worshiped with men's hands as though he needed anything, since he gives to all life, breath, and all things. And he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on the face of the earth, and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings, so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. God intends for us to look for him. Again, not because he's playing a game of hide-and-seek or anything like that. I like to think of it this way. Essentially, what he's doing is he's weeding out the people that really don't have any interest in the first place, which, unfortunately, is an awful lot of people. I've heard people ask the question, <clears throat> why is it that God doesn't force himself on us? Why doesn't he do something that is really big, really obvious, obviously miraculous, that everybody in the whole wide world can see. Why doesn't he just do that and make everybody believe in him <clears throat> and then everybody will be obedient and then everybody can go to heaven? Because that's not the way God intends for it to work. And the really important thing about all of that is this. Even if God did do something really big, really obvious, really miraculous, people wouldn't believe it anyway. They wouldn't. It, the human mind has an almost limitless ability to rationalize things. We can talk ourselves into or out of almost anything, whether it makes any sense at all or not. It doesn't have to. 
I saw a movie back, uh, it's been several years ago. It was called The Next Voice You Hear. The premise of the movie was that there was a really popular radio program that came on every day and lots and lots of people listened to it. And the introduction to the radio program was the next voice you hear would be uh, the uh, host of the show. And then all of a sudden something began to happen. The radio program would come on and it would say the next voice you hear will be God. And this was being broadcast all over the world and nobody could figure out where the transmission was coming from. It interrupted the program without any seeming effort at all. The character who proclaimed himself to be God would pass his message along like he'd say, well, you know, they didn't believe me in the days of Noah. If I made it rain, would you believe? And then it began to rain. And he goes through all of these different things. Every day this, this same thing would happen and everybody was speculating, what, what is this? Who is this? What's going on? And the movie basically was about the, the different characters and how they reacted to and how they dealt with this idea that maybe God was actually speaking to them. <clears throat> and the majority of them know it's got to be some kind of trick. They didn't want to believe it. Even though it was something they couldn't explain, they didn't want to believe it. And mankind has always been that way. Over in Hebrews chapter 3, <clears throat> beginning in verse 16, it says, For who, having heard, rebelled? Indeed, was it not all who came out of Egypt led by Moses? Now with whom was he angry forty years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose corpses fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who did not obey? So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. He's talking about the children of Israel. He's talking about what we refer to as the Exodus. When God brought <clears throat> the children of Israel out of Egypt and was leading them to the promised land. Now think about this. Who had more reason to believe than they did? Who had more reason to believe in God, in his power, and to believe what he said? These people had seen the plagues of Egypt. They lived through them. They saw the, the pillar of fire by night, the pillar of cloud by day leading them. They saw the Red Sea parted. They walked across on dry land. And they saw when Pharaoh and his army attempted to, to duplicate that feat, they saw the Red Sea close back over them and they all drowned. They were fed miraculously every day. Now tell me, if, if you have people that are in that situation <clears throat> and they choose not to believe anyway, you know, how can that be? Because people can rationalize almost anything. They couldn't enter in because of unbelief. Even though they had seen all of these things, they still didn't believe. So it wouldn't matter if God forced himself on us. The majority of people wouldn't believe anyway. Now what that does, and that makes some people kind of uncomfortable, is it lays a lot of the responsibility for my eternal destiny squarely on my shoulders. I am responsible for what happens to me when this life is over. God did his part. God's grace, unmerited favor, sent his son to die on the cross so that I might have the opportunity to avoid the penalty of my sin. He did his part. He did the part that only he could do. But now I've got to do my part. And my part 
requires me to be active. I have to ask the right questions. I have to seek the right things. I got to knock on the right doors and I have to do it. But sadly, so many people won't do it at all. Uh, I've asked the question uh, many times. I probably have asked it here before, but how do you know if I'm telling you the truth? Do you know? If you do, how? There are people who will lie to you. Sometimes it's because they're of ignorance. They just don't know any better. We were talking this morning in our Bible study about something that a lot of people believe to be absolutely true, which has no basis in fact whatsoever. Why do most people believe it? Because they've studied it? No. They believe it because somebody else told them. Somebody else said it's so. A lot of other people believe that it's so. So they assume that it is so until somebody comes along and proves that it's not. Now, if they're an honest and sincere person, once they've been proven wrong, they change what they believe. They say, okay, that was wrong. I don't need to believe that anymore. I need to believe something else. I don't know what maybe, but I, I don't need to believe that. But a lot of times they won't even, even put forth that much effort. But if somebody's lying to you out of ignorance, you may believe it for a while, but if you're honest and sincere, you can find out the truth and you can move on from that point. Some people will lie to you because they want to make money off of you. And the world is full of them. There are people <clears throat> who get paid a lot of money to make you believe things that are not so, to talk you into buying things you don't need, they convince you that you do, or to vote for them so that they can make a lot of money. The world is full of people like that. How do you know? How do you know? Well, those things are kind of incidental, really, when you get right down to it. But when it comes to uh, believing what Scripture says, when it comes to knowing how I'm supposed to go from this life to the next, what instructions do I have, what actions do I need to take in order to go to heaven when I die, how do you know? You need to look. Because maybe somebody's telling you the truth, maybe they're not. But you need to look and see. I have always admired the Bereans. Acts chapter 17. These, <clears throat> these are really, really unusual people. The people that we have recorded there in Acts 17 verses 11 and 12. The Apostle Paul had not received a good reception in the city of Thessalonica. He left and he went to Berea and he began to preach there. And what Paul would normally do in some of these cities, if there were enough Jews there that they had a synagogue, he would go to the synagogue and he would preach there. And that made perfect sense. These were people who were already familiar with the Old Testament uh, scriptures. Uh, he could tell them about the prophecies and how they pointed to Jesus as the Messiah. And they were familiar with these things. They already believed in the one true God. So the battle was already half won. But sometimes he would go into these synagogues and the people did not want to hear what he had to say. He was saying that no, our Messiah is not gonna be an earthly king. He has a kingdom, but it's not of this world. And he would point to Jesus as the Messiah and they didn't wanna hear that. It went counter to the things that they already believed. And so they said, I don't wanna to listen to this. And sometimes they reacted violently. But the Bereans, they received the word with all readiness and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. 
Therefore, many of them believed. They received the word with all readiness. Nobody likes to have their beliefs challenged. Nobody does. Some people take it personally. If you point to somebody, and especially if you're talking about, you know, you, you've heard two things that you never discuss, religion and politics. Those are the two areas that people really don't like to have their beliefs challenged. If you point out that what they believe is wrong, they take it really, really personally most of the time. Bereans didn't. They received the word with all readiness. In other words, what they're doing is they're saying, okay, Paul, you're telling us some things we've never heard. You're putting an interpretation on scriptures that we've never heard before. But we're going to listen to you. But we are not taking your unsupported word for anything. We're going to search the scriptures to see if you're telling us the truth or not. We'll listen, but you better have the scripture to back it up. And now you think about it from their perspective, too. You know, if, if, if you wanted to follow the example of the Bereans, you hear the word being taught, you hear it preached, and you say, I want to find out if they're telling me the truth or not. You can take notes, which is a good thing. You can go home, and you can spend some time looking through your Bible. Yeah, that's exactly what it says right there, and I see the connection that they drew there. That, yeah, I'll agree with that. You can do that in the convenience, the comfort of your own home. They couldn't just pick up a Bible in their house. Remember, this is at a time when scriptures were written out by hand. It was a slow, laborious process. Uh, when the Dead Sea Scrolls were found in 1947, they found a, a really, really nicely preserved copy of the scroll of Isaiah. And if memory serves me right, it was about 24 feet long. Now, that's just one book. Now, Isaiah's a long book, but still, you've got a 24-foot-long scroll in your house that cost you thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars. Now, these people had to get together at the synagogue to study this. They had a considerable investment in time and energy in seeing whether Paul was telling them the truth or not. We're lazy. We don't want to put the time and effort into seeing, am I being told the truth or not? Is somebody lying to me or not? We need to look. We need to ask. We need to seek. We need to knock. Because if we don't, we may be lied to. You know, over in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, in verse 21, Paul said, Test all things. Hold fast to that which is good. Test all things. Now, if somebody's telling me something I already believe, I may be willing to give him a pass. You know, well, I've already heard that. I already believe that. I'm not going to bother to check and see if it's true or not. That may be okay and maybe not. You know, they may have been told the same wrong thing that I was. Maybe I do need to check and make sure it's right before I go on believing it. And you very well may say, okay, I've, I've checked up on it now. I understand it. I know it's the truth. So I don't need to worry about that one anymore. I can go on to something else. But you may look into it and say, you know, I've been told this all my life, and I just found out it was wrong. This is one of those things. I, I had kind of a, a long, hard road to hoe over all those things. I grew up in the Church of God, and I was nearly 30 years old before I became a, a Christian. 
And I had a hard time getting over the fact that a lot of things I'd been told all my life were wrong. That the plan of salvation was not what I'd been told. The end of time wasn't going to be like I'd been told. There were a lot of things I'd been told. It turned out they were wrong. And I didn't like it, not one little bit. Luckily, I'm not completely wedded to my own ignorance, and I did get over it eventually. It just took me 10 or 15 years. But I did, kind of. But we need to check. We need to look at some of these things because we don't always know if we're being told the truth or not. And when it comes to things eternal, that's important. Over in uh, Ephesians chapter 5, this is kind of an, uh, an interesting passage here. Beginning in verse 8, the Apostle Paul says, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. What he's saying, that the, the word walk, as used in the New Testament, generally carries with it the idea of how do you live your life as a practice. And it's especially true in the book of Ephesians. He uses the term that way a lot of the time. So what he's doing is he said, you used to be darkness. Once upon a time, you were, you were a child of the devil, you were a person of the world, you were not a Christian. He said, now you're light in the Lord. You are a Christian. So walk that way. Live that way. That's the way you should live your life as a habit. Are you going to make mistakes? Yes, you are. But do you make mistakes as a habit? No, you don't. But he says, that being the case, verse 10, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. You were once darkness, but now you're children of, light, of the Lord. Children are, you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Finding out, if you skip the parentheses there in verse 9, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. Finding out, asking, seeking, knocking, trying to find out what is acceptable to the Lord. You're a child of light now. Walk that way. How do you do that? You find out. You search the scriptures daily. You see, what is it that God wants me to do? How does he want me to act? I, I, I saw another movie one time, it's kind of a funny one. Uh, a guy was in an accident and he believed that God had sent him back to earth as an angel, that he had died. And so he was supposed to go around doing good things. And he was reading in his Bible and it said something about feeding the hungry. So he went to a, a local fast food restaurant and he held the place up and took a lot of their food and took it out and started giving it to homeless people. Well, then he went back and he started reading his Bible again and he said, thou shall not steal. He said, oh no, now what do I do? You know, the, the, the point is, is that he, he knew one thing to do and then he found out later he needed to modify his behavior because he kept looking. Find out what the will of the Lord is. What does God want me to do? But he goes on there in Ephesians chapter 5, he says, And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. Number one, you don't have anything to do with them. As a matter of fact, you point out that they're wrong. And that is getting harder and harder and harder to do. It is, it is more and more difficult in, in our day and time, in our culture, to point out that there are some things that are just not right. You know, God gave one reason for divorce and remarriage, Matthew 19 and verse 9. 
one. But in our day and time, it doesn't matter. Marry as many as you want, divorce as many as you want, for whatever reason that you want, and everybody's fine with that. Nobody has a problem with it. As a matter of fact, if it's two men that want to get married or two women that want to get married, everybody's fine with that. As a matter of fact, if you point out that it's wrong, you're a hate monger. I find it interesting that there, there is a, a mood of tolerance all over the world these days. As a matter of fact, there's one thing they won't tolerate, and that's intolerance. And by intolerance, I mean that somebody has the gall to point out that something's wrong. It's sinful. Uh, somebody called me a hate monger once because I said that. And I said, you're looking at this exactly backwards. And they said, what do you mean? I said, if, if I hate homosexuals, then what would I want to happen to homosexuals? I want them to die and go to hell. Worst possible thing I can think of, and if I hate them, that's what I want. Now, how do I accomplish that? By not telling them that what they're doing is wrong. As a matter of fact, if anything, I would encourage them in their behavior if I hated them, but I don't. The only reason that you warn somebody about bad behavior having bad consequences is because you love them. What you're doing is wrong. It is going to cause you harm, and I don't want to see that happen to you. So don't do that anymore. And that's why we warn people when they sin, because we love them. It's not because we hate them, but they can't get that through their head. But we're going to have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. But all things are exposed. All things that are exposed are made manifest by the light, for whatever manifests is light. Therefore, he says, awake you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you life. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Walk as children of light, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. See that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, understanding what the will of the Lord is. You're wise if you understand what the will of the Lord is. How do you know what the will of the Lord is? You go to his revealed word and you read it. You find out, you study it, and see if what you're being told is true or not. Now, one of the things that's kind of interesting about this whole uh, situation as far as being active is concerned, active in asking, active in seeking, active in knocking, again, that, that, that puts it squarely on me. I'm the one that has to put out the effort. But one of the things that we don't think about very often, I, I don't think, if you ask, you'll receive. If you seek, you'll find. If you knock, it'll be opened. If you sincerely want to do what God wants you to do, then God will providentially give you the opportunity to learn what that is. John chapter 7 and verse 17, Jesus said, if any man wills to do his will, he'll know of the doctrine, whether I speak uh, on my own authority or not. He said, if you really want to do what God wants you to do, God will give you the opportunity to know what that is, not miraculously, but through his providence. But what if you're not looking for the right things? If you're not asking the right questions, 
if you're not seeking the right things, if you're not knocking on the right doors, you will still find what you're looking for. And that's the bad part about it, because we have to stop and think, am I asking the right questions? Am I seeking the right things? Or am I looking in Scripture to find what I want to be there? Again, people have the almost miraculous ability to rationalize almost anything. If you go looking in Scripture to find support for something, you will find it, whether it's justified or not. You'll find what you're looking for. Are you looking honestly, sincerely? If you are, you'll find the truth. If you're just looking for support for a position that you've already got, you can find that too. It's one of those things that we don't understand a lot of the time. But God will let us do what we want to do. You know, over again, over in Romans chapter 1, he talks about those who suppress the truth and unrighteousness, verse 18. Professing to be wise, they became fools, verse 22. Verse 28, even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind. They did not like to retain God in their knowledge. God gave them over to a debased mind. In essence, what he's saying is God says, either you tell me thy will be done, or I'm going to tell you thy will be done. We either yield ourselves to him, or he'll say, I'll let you do what you want. I don't like it. That's not what I want for you. And you're not going to like the consequences of your choice. But if that's what you really, really want to do, I'm going to let you do it. Over in 2 uh, Second <coughs> Thessalonians, in chapter 2, the Apostle Paul says that the lawless one, and uh, I, I may mention this morning about some things that we might talk about one of these days. But he said, when he comes, verse 10, with all unrighteous deception among those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth, that they might be saved. Now mark this verse, verse 11. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie, that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. God will tell you if that's what you want to do, if that's what you want to believe, I'll let you. I don't like it. I don't want it. I want something better for you, but that's what you chose. And then we'll have to bear the, the consequences of our actions. So when we ask, am I asking the right questions? If I'm seeking, am I seeking the right things and in the right place? When I knock on the door, is it the right door to knock on? So not only do I have to think about the fact that I need to be active in doing this, but I have to examine my motives too. I have to look into my own heart and say, am I just trying to find support for something I already believe? Or I think God wants me to do this, but I'd a whole lot rather do that, so I'm going to find support for that. Which one am I doing? Am I honest? Am I sincere? And am I actively honest and sincere? seeking to do what God wants me to do. If you ask, you'll receive. If you seek, you'll find. If you knock, it'll be opened. Just make sure that it's the right thing. 
You're asking the right questions. You're seeking the right things. You're knocking on the right doors because we have our, pl our part to play as well. It may be that there's someone here this morning that needs to respond to the Lord's invitation. If you're here and you're not a Christian, you could come forward this morning confessing your faith in Jesus as the Son of God, and you could be baptized to have your sins washed away. Or if you're an erring child of God, if your sin is public in nature, then your repentance should be public as well so that you'll not bring shame and reproach upon the church. If it's something that only you and God know about, go to God in prayer. Confess the sin to him from a repentant heart and ask him to forgive you. And he's promised to do that. Or it could be that there's someone here that just needs to come forward and ask for the prayers of those that are gathered here for some other reason. Whatever your need is, would you come forward and make it known while together we stand and sing.